Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing professionals at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Hello, young business leaders. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I'm excited to share this week's episode with you. Today, we get to tune into a bonus podcast from our monthly luncheon featuring Dr. Everett Piper. He's the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Piper has become known for his passionate defense of intellectual freedom. He advocates tirelessly for cultural courage grounded in the conservation of time-tested truth. He's the author of Why I Am a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. His op-eds have been featured in multiple news outlets across the nation, including Fox News, The Daily Caller, Heat Street, The Blaze, and The Washington Times, and more. In 2016, Dr. Piper received the Jeannie Kirkpatrick Award for Academic Freedom from the American Conservation Union and the Conservative Political Action Committee after he authored his viral piece, This Is Not a Daycare, This Is a University. Let's listen in on Dr. Piper and listen to his message to young businessmen. Uh, A couple uh, housekeeping items before I give you my 20 minutes, right? Do I still have 20 minutes? I assume I do. Um, Somebody will grab me with a hook if I don't. Uh, Housekeeping. If you want to Forgive the shameless self-promotion here, but if you're interested in following me on Twitter, it's Dr. Everett Piper. That's D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. And Oklahoma Wesleyan's website, where you can follow everything we do in terms of engaging culture with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is www.okwu.edu. I often forget to do that, and people are trying to follow us, and they can't find us, so I thought I'd do that first. I am that guy that wrote the Not a Daycare piece, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. Um, It was a year ago, November. I write a weekly op-ed for the local newspaper, the Examiner Enterprise in Bartlesville. I've been doing it for 10 years, or more. And I've jokingly said, and half seriously said, when I write those op-eds, generally five people read them and three people care. But on this particular week, the op-ed I chose to write was with regard to a incident that took place on my campus. There was a young man that was offended by a chapel sermon. And he approached the speaker after chapel and he said, you singled me out and you singled my peers out. I'm offended by what you said and I'm offended that you didn't give us a trigger warning to let us know that this offense, this microaggression was going to happen. The speaker called me, he's one of my vice presidents, and he said, I want to give you a heads up. I had somebody play the victimization card on me today in chapel based on what I spoke about. And I asked Kyle, the VP, well, what was your sermon? And he said, you won't believe this one. It was on 1 Corinthians 13. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm a monster. I spoke on love. (laughs) I know Kyle always uses a text. He always speaks from a script. So I asked him for it. He never deviates. He doesn't ad lib. I said, send me a copy of your sermon notes. And I read them. There was no humor. There was no political satire. There was nothing in there other than a homily on love. And we had one of our students 
at a boldly and unapologetically Christian institution that stands for the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom, nobody is confused with who we are. We're very upfront with our conservative Christianity when we market ourselves to students and donors and pastors and parents. Nobody is confused with what Oklahoma Wesleyan stands for. And even in that context, I've got a kid telling me he's offended with 1 Corinthians 13. I was incredulous. So that week, I wrote my op-ed on this particular story. I thought it would receive the same attention that most of my stuff does. But it was Thanksgiving morning, a few days after I wrote it, and I'm sitting at 5 o'clock, let's say, in my leather chair with my chocolate Labrador at my feet, and I'm in my flip-flops and shorts and my ball cap reading, and my phone buzzes. It's a Facebook alert. And it's Glenn Beck. I'm not a friend of Glenn Beck's on Facebook, so I was curious. How did, why? Why is this happening? So I looked at it, and somehow he got a hold of that op-ed. Somebody sent it to him. And he posted it on his Facebook and told everybody to read it for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Why this was Thanksgiving reading, I don't know. But Glenn thought it was. And by noon, about 50,000 people had read this thing on Glenn's Facebook. Sidebar, my youngest son was home from college for Thanksgiving, and he looked at me across the dinner table at about 1 o'clock when this thing was clicking in at 50 and 60,000 views. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you've said so much worse than this. Why is this one going viral? I don't know. But let me share this with you. I want to share with you what I said to this young man in my op-ed. That feeling of discomfort you have, it's called your conscience. An altar call is supposed to make you feel bad. It is supposed to make you feel guilty. The goal of many a good sermon is to get you to confess your sins, not to coddle you in your selfishness. The primary objective of the church and the Christian faith is your confession, not your self-actualization. So let me offer you some advice. If you want the chaplain to tell you you're the victim rather than tell you that you need virtue, this may, be the, this may not be the university you're looking for. If you want to complain about a sermon that makes you feel less than loving for not showing love, this might be the wrong place. If you're more interested in playing the hater card than you are in confessing your own hate, if you want to arrogantly lecture rather than humbly learn, if you don't want to feel guilt in your soul when you're guilty of sin, and if you want to be enabled rather than confronted, there are many universities across the land that will give you exactly what you want, but Oklahoma Wesleyan isn't one of them. At Oklahoma Wesleyan, we teach you to be selfless rather than self-centered. We are more interested in you practicing personal forgiveness than political revenge. We want you to model interpersonal reconciliation rather than foment personal conflict. We believe in the content of your character, and we think it's more important than the color of your skin, and we don't believe that you've been victimized every time you feel guilty, and we don't issue trigger warnings before altar calls. At Oklahoma Wesleyan, we believe that a university is not a safe place, but rather a place to learn. To learn that life isn't about you, but about others. And that that bad feeling you have while listening to a sermon, yes, it's called guilt, and that the way to address it is to repent of everything that's wrong with you, rather than to blame others for everything that's wrong with them. This is a place where you will quickly learn that you need to grow up. This is not a daycare, this is a university. Well, by the end of the week, 
3.1 million people had read that article. It caused a bit of a grass fire. And before I knew it, Fox and Friends and Glenn Beck and NBC Today and Dr. Drew and Stuart Varney and O'Reilly and Limbaugh and Drudge and Dreher and CBS and CBN and National Review and the American Spectator and the Washington Times and the Chronicle of Higher Ed and even newspapers and magazines across Canada and even Great Britain and the Far East were all interested. Apparently, I had said something many were waiting to hear. And apparently, this simple and brief response struck a chord. Many who even openly disagreed with what they called my religion and my politics wrote in to say, thank you, this is long overdue. Poster child of this. I received a hard copy. I've got hundreds, probably literally thousands of emails and texts and phone calls. And we did the analysis on this, and 97% of those comments were positive. 3% were negative, but 97% were positive. And of the 3%, almost all of them were from the church. That's an interesting, interesting commentary. I could give you a speech on that. But stop and think about it. Almost all the negative was from the church. You were too harsh. You were too hard on the kid. That's my point. I don't even hardly need to respond to that criticism. The university isn't about coddling the kids. It's about confronting their character and building up maturity and responsibility and courage. And young men and young women who will take their integrity into the town square and the marketplace of ideas, not go in and demand to be coddled. So why did this strike a chord? I may go off notes here a little bit. I believe it's because of this. I believe it's because we intuitively recognize that as rational human beings, we are made in the image of God and there is great power in what? In what? Ideas. And that at the end of the day, civilizations are built and cultures are conquered, not so much by armies and navies, but by speeches and lectures and blogs and books, by the power of ideas much more so than the threat of bullets. I think why, this is why this started a grass fire. People recognize that ideas have consequences. They matter. I say this all the time. I've said it a hundred times on Pat Campbell's show. I've probably even said it in this venue before. Richard Weaver's work in 1948, his seminal book titled Ideas Have Consequences, had one point. What was it? Ideas have consequences. You hardly need to read it to understand what his premise was. Ideas matter. They always lead somewhere. And good ideas lead to good culture and good community and good church and good government and good kids. And bad ideas lead to the opposite. Ideas have consequences. Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. Huxley and Orwell warned of dystopias were ideas and the control of ideas would be used to control you, the populace, and control society. Weaver tells us that ideas have consequences, that they matter. And you know that. Whether you're left, right, center, Democrat or Republican, atheist, agnostic, Anglican, Buddhist or Baptist, you know that ideas matter. 
and you recognize that some of them are right and some of them are wrong and some of them are true and some of them are false. And our culture has abandoned that to the point where I can have a kid challenge me about 1 Corinthians 13 and a command to love and say he's offended by it. He dumbs down the definition of what it means to, human, to be a human being to nothing but his feelings, his feelings and his fantasies. And he fabricates what it means to be a human being rather than honor the Imago Dei. My industry is in crisis today. And you should care. Even if you're beyond your college years and you don't have a kid yet ready to go to school yet, you should care. Because the educational industry is in crisis. We're no, lo no longer known for pursuing truth, but rather for celebrating tolerance. And in the name of tolerance, we're told that our intolerance is intolerable. I can't tolerate your intolerance. I hate you hateful people. I'm sure that nothing is sure. I know that nothing can be known, and I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. <laughs> Professors parrot this pablum today. This is my industry. They actually say this stuff with a straight face. The elite, the intellectuals, the smarter than thou's will parrot that nonsense. It, it's like watching a dog chase its tail. It would be funny if it weren't so sad. That's my industry. And those are the ideas that are being fed back into your culture. The result of this nonsense is that the tradition of good teaching has become the rainbow flag of tyranny almost overnight. What was academic freedom just yesterday is ideological fascism today. Rather than celebrating liberty, liberals now demand conformity. Campuses are now bastions of speech codes rather than bulwarks of free speech. And faculty and students alike are more interested in trigger warnings than they are in pursuing the truth. Run by the state and its thought police, colleges across the land have become indoctrination camps, much more so than campuses of open inquiry. I would argue that propaganda and power now reign where there used to be a pursuit of truth. Our track record is terrible. Decade after decade, we've taught our next generation it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, that all morality is relative, and that good and evil are merely subjective social constructs. Year after year, we preach that pastors and priests are stupid and that liberation theology is the only good religion. Day in and day out, we fomented class resentment and racial animus and diminished excellence while extolling entitlement. Why are we surprised at the results? Our leaders have lost their courage, our Congress has lost its conscience, our kids have lost their character, and our culture has lost its soul. Ideas. Ideas have consequences, and the lousy ideas we've been teaching in our colleges and our universities for the past several decades are bearing themselves out daily before our eyes. But there is an answer. There is an answer to this absurdity. It's found in the historical liberal arts. Why did I title my first book, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas? If anybody knows anything about me, if you've listened to me for five seconds, if you paid attention for the last five to seven minutes, you know I'm a bold and unapologetic conservative. I'm a conservationist. I believe in conserving things. I believe in conserving the environment. We are responsible for creation. We should be good stewards of it. I believe in conserving the water, conserving the air, and conserving the owls and the whales. I believe in that. But there are even more important things to conserve, and they are the time-tested, 
truths that have been endowed to us by our Creator. Those immutable, unchangeable rights and wrongs that we know intuitively that are laid on the human heart. Romans 1 and 2 tells us that we know these things. That those endowed virtues are part of the human existence. Why am I a liberal? Because classical liberalism, let's go back to Oxford some 1,000 years ago. Why was it founded? It was founded to educate a free man and a free woman. It was educated for liberty and liberation. It was a liberal arts institution because it believed in freedom. Freedom. And it believed in the words of Jesus Christ. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Why were those words emblazoned across hundreds, if not thousands, of libraries and campuses across the world? It's because classical liberalism was grounded in veritas, truth, the words of Christ. Classical liberalism recognized what G.K. Chesterton told us, and that is this, that when you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, but rather what? Thousands upon thousands of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. That's worth the price of admission, that quote right there. When you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, but rather thousands and thousands of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. And if you don't believe that, then just turn on the nightly news and recognize that we have laws dictating how you're supposed to use the bathroom today. You don't even have the freedom any longer to use your common sense on which toilet to use. We've got the government imposing its will on the definition of everything from the bathroom to a very sacrament of the church. I'm Protestant, I'm not Catholic, but I will argue that the history of the church has taught that marriage is a sacrament of the church. And what in the world led the government to believe that it should be in the business of defining and redefining a sacrament? And we let that happen. The church let that happen. Conservatives let that happen because we lost control of the definitions of the ideas and the words. If I were to challenge you with anything today, I would say reclaim the high ground of your words. Recognize that he who defines the terms always wins the debate. One more time, he who defines the terms always wins the debate. And when conservatives, those who believe in conserving the time-tested truths of God, allow those truths to be dumbed down and redefined by a culture that's postmodern and doesn't care about right and wrong, up and down, black and white, or good and evil, and twists everything in its own image rather than worshiping God, then those words and their meaning is lost. Classical liberalism. Today, liberalism doesn't mean liberty any longer, but conformity. Tolerance. Tolerance doesn't mean that you just accept somebody else. It means that you have to embrace and agree with everything they do and everything they say. Hate. Hate no longer means hate. What it means today is that if I disagree with you, you can accuse me of hating you. We've made hate and disagreement synonymous. We've made tolerance and acceptance 
synonymous. We've dumbed down the definition of liberal and made it mean progressive government control. Another case in point. You, as a culture, can't even define the male and the female any longer. We've lost the ability to even do that. Sidebar, I received a letter from the Department of Education in the Office of Civil Rights some few short months ago. Believe it or not, this letter told me that as an evangelical Christian, conservative liberal arts institution, that I was now bound, bound by law to provide transgender accommodations on my campus. And they said that I was obligated to do it under the auspices of, auspices of Title IX. Now, if you don't know, Title IX is a 1972 law that was established to give women equal access to the athletic field. It's a good law. Most all colleges and universities in the nation have complied with that law since 1972. And frankly, because they should. So if you're a female and you want to play soccer, you get equal scholarships and equal facilities. You've got your own locker room that's equal to the men. You've got your access to the field that's equal to men. The same budget is spent on your uniforms and your scholarship support is relatively the same. Women get equal access and equal treatment on the athletic field. Title IX required it. And it, just a few months ago, I get an email, excuse me, a hard copy letter from the DOE and the OCR telling me that under the auspices of that law that gives women equal rights to the athletic field, I now have to deny the biological fact of the female and give her rights away to a dysphoric male who on any given day raises his hand and says, I'm a woman. How is that, how is that possible in a rational culture? Stop and think about this. The government is, not, is telling me to deny science, to deny biology, to deny physiology, to deny physics, and to dumb down the female to nothing but a fabrication and a fantasy. Women. You're nothing but unicorns. You're nothing but leprechauns. You're make-believe. You don't really exist any longer because the Fed says so. I wrote them a letter and said no. <laughs> and I asked them. I asked them, how can I possibly give women equal access to anything if you're telling me they don't exist any longer? You explain that to me. Do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm reclaiming the definition. I'm saying you stole, you co-opted, you dumbed down, you insulted women by suggesting they don't exist. I will not do that. I'll define them historically and classically and scientifically and biologically and physiologically. And if you want to challenge, challenge me on that, bring it on. And we'll see who's the real misogynist here. And we'll see who the classical feminist is here. Because you can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine. You can't. Reclaim your words. Reclaim liberal. It means liberty. Reclaim female. It means an objective reality of the woman. Reclaim words like gay. It means happiness, not sexual licentiousness. Reclaim words like green. It's a color. It's a color. It's not a political agenda. Reclaim the high ground of words. He who defines the terms wins the debate. Education is about words. Politics is about words. Culture is about words. Words mean something. They have definitions. And as human beings, 
and thoughtful moral agents. We do know what the definition of is is, and we also intuitively know something else very important. Changing and manipulating the meaning of words is called something. It's called lying. <laughs> and we also know that deceit does bring consequences. We're told by the prophet Isaiah, woe unto him who calls evil good and good evil, darkness light and light darkness, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Lying about words and with words and turning them upside down is always wrong. I need to move ahead. Okay, I'm going to read my last page. Which means I've got to flip through several pages. All right. I've got 60 seconds here. I'll be done. Maybe 90. I want to read to you a closing statement to my students at Oklahoma Wesleyan in their last commencement. I harangued them on controlling words, as I've done to you over the last 10 minutes. And I closed with this. I'm closing with you likewise. So welcome to my university. For the next 90 seconds, you are my students. Are you ready? Words mean something. Today, on your commencement, I want to give you this one clear and simple challenge. As graduates of Oklahoma Wesleyan, hang on to your words. Define them and defend them. Honor freedom and fight fascism. Stand for truth and fight tyranny. Stand for love and fight hate. Stand for the rights of women and fight against their subjugation. Stand for liberty and liberation. Fight licentiousness. Remember the words of Bonhoeffer. They mean something. Not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. There is a reason that Jesus is described in the Gospel of, of John as what? The Word. He means something. He cannot be changed. He is the Logos. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Remember, He is the Word, and remember and defend His words. Remember, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Remember, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He defined himself as an alphabet, my land. Why did he do that? Remember that he is the word made flesh and dwelling among us. Remember that he has said, behold, I am coming soon. May the word be your confidence and your courage as you fight the good fight to win the prize for which, for which Christ, the word, has called us heavenward. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. Now go. Go. Leave this university. Leave here reclaiming every inch of creation for Christ and his kingdom. And in the days ahead, always remember that you graduated from a university and not a daycare. I hope you've enjoyed this month's message. If you live in the Tulsa area, be sure to join us next month for a free lunch and another great speaker. We meet on the second Monday of every month at Tiamos at 61st and Sheridan at 1140 a.m. For more information about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, visit www.ybtok.com. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, we are building leaders for a lifetime.